Welcome back to a Green Rush Live, the last half hour. I hope everybody enjoyed that last smoke break. And we have two great guests on. I actually just realized the one guy, Josh Smith, that we have from Abco Labs. We actually were at a convention together. I just saw him pop up and I was like, wow, I definitely know him. We sat at a table together. And then we have Mark Hubbard from Integrity Labs. So I'm just going to have Mark introduce himself, tell us a little, about, a little bit about Integrity Labs, and then we'll talk to Josh and get things rolling. So Mark, go ahead. Tell us about Integrity Labs and where you're located. Yeah. Hi guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Integrity Labs is located in Olympia, Washington. Uh, we're a certified lab for the state of Washington for the recreational system. And uh, we also do private testing as well and lab development. So awesome. been doing it for a minute. I think uh, we licensed our lab with the state of Washington in 2014. A couple of years before that, in 2012, we had we had started Integrity as Integrity testing uh, for the medical market that that existed since what 1998 in Washington State. Very cool. And Josh, tell us a little bit about Abco Labs and where you're located. Yeah, so Abco is uh, located in Warren, Michigan, so essentially Detroit, um, and has been open since. I think officially licensed 2020, uh, started in 2019. And then before that, I also have been uh, helped start up and run a, another lab in Madison, Wisconsin that does, that did and does uh, low THC. So hemp CBD and all that other stuff. And Josh, that's where you were when we met. You were in Madison, Wisconsin. I definitely remember. So Still live there, but. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. And uh, so how did you make the jump to uh this new lab uh amy the former owner amy was uh well still part owner um was looking for to bring on people and realized it was a little more than she could deal handle with herself and we kind of jumped in nice very nice all right let's get into the whole testing part of the the industry so mark i'm gonna ask you right off the bat what's the biggest issue you've seen with the flower and product that comes in for testing well, I think it's all of the discrepancy or the misunderstanding about how the process of testing cannabis actually works for the state of Washington. Um, of course, it's a little bit different from the unregulated state, for instance, of Wisconsin, and maybe that market, as well as another regulated market of Michigan. Uh, so those laws are a little bit different, but um, I think nobody really understands. I think it's just a mystery. Just as We just wave this magic pixie dust and we just put a number on a piece of paper. And it's been that way for a decade plus. So it's nothing um, new for me to be questioned on why test results happen and where the variables are uh, within accuracy. Do you want to explain how it, how the product work, how you take the product from when it gets to your hands through the testing process? Could you explain that to our viewers? Sure. Well, there's different protocols that are established by the state as far as how samples are taken from um, from a lot or from a selection. Uh, in the in the case of Washington State, um, samples are pulled by the the producer or processor uh, that that created that sample. Uh, they package it. They give an appropriate amount that's allocated based on the state, based on the testing that's being performed. Uh, we'll receive that test. Uh, documented, bring it into a controlled limb system. So it's an inventory management system, which documents where this sample has to go, what, what tests it needs to, to be performed on it. 
and uh, at the end, what, uh, what quality control needs to be completed on that sample uh, to determine accuracy for that, uh, which is determined for. In, in the case of Washington State, it's for certification of a lot uh, for testing. So it could be uh, microbial uh, potency. Um, now uh, tests have started to require pesticide testing depending on at what stage. So it really depends on what kind of product it's brought in and has it had prior testing or not. It just kind of depends on on the state of it, but it's taken into into control. It's pushed through um, a system internally. It's documented. It's uh, it's numbered, and uh, and then the results are qualified by a lab director, and those results are published uh, to to the the client. All right, and then yeah, they give them your your COA and. You're happy and mm -hmm. good to go, and you can sell your product. Josh, how often do you see moldy product at your uh, at the lab that you're testing? <laughs> That's a loaded question. Uh, if it's grown out, <laughs> so my background is actually clinical microbiology. That's my graduate degree. Uh, if it's grown outside, you will fail for mold, oh. hands down. If you grow outside, it is a living being, a living organism. You will have yeast and mold on it. So, I would recommend inside, but. Uh, it really depends on the, the area you live. Are you growing indoors? Are you growing outside? Um, are, how's the weather? Even if you're growing indoors, if you have a less than perfect, uh, you know, environmental system in your grow area, you'll have a higher humidity in the air and you'll get mold. Um, also, I notice when I go to grow rooms, because this is actually something we would offer, is to, if somebody's having problems passing, which... You know, sometimes they just go to a lab that has a different cutoff for it and gets through. But, uh, you know, you go to the look at grow rooms, uh, an easy thing to look for is to uh, see where the airflow is, because really that's mold is telling you either your HEPA filters are burned or you have dead spots in your grow area. So if you don't have anything going at the lower area, you know, you've got all the giant canopy space, but a lot of times there's those fans blowing down on top that you can see everything moving, but a lot of times there's almost nothing down below and you can get these little microclimates that will help mold grow. Interesting. Very good. Very cool. Josh, have anything to ask these gentlemen? They're full of knowledge. You can tell that. Well, yeah. And, uh, so yeah, Mark and I are, are both from Washington state. So I know he knows the whole Sorry, the dogs barking are just part of the uh, listening experience today, I guess. Um, but Mark, you you've seen a lot of the pay to play on that. I'm wondering how did that get started? Was it where labs in the very beginning were like, "Yeah, we'll go ahead and give you whatever you want," or was it a matter of people saying, "Hey, we really want 34 percent"? So curious, like, how did it get started? What was the frequency? Um, why did it stop? Like, how did they get busted? Can you just walk us through the pay to play on? asking for a higher THC percentage and some of the dirty side to the testing labs because you, you've, you've been there, you've seen it. Yeah. I mean, this was definitely a game that um, clients um, played early on. They wanted the biggest percentage because at one time in Washington state, the highest number was the thing that sold the most. And we were the kind of the first experiment, you know, Washington state was with you know how do you regulate this new industry and system most definitely i had people offer me money to to falsify test results 
but this is a liability situation you know um early on we had 2800 customers in washington state so licensed producers and processors that either grew or manufactured product um they had to compete based on a number or based on quality what would you rather uh, compete based on and i think over the evolution of the last 10 years in washington state cannabis we've seen that 95% doesn't exist in concentrates anymore. We can actually see the difference in a profile between a sugar wax and a diamonds and sauce based on how it's put back together in the plant. And people are not dumb. They can smoke something that's 41% flour. We can go all the way back to Venture Magazine that posted an article um, about a farm in Washington State that grew 41% cannabis. Um, this is it, it just it just sent a, a a shake through the entire industry, and that magazine put an exclamation point instead of a question mark. It just really doesn't exist in all these other states, and we'll see other states pop up and try and play this game. But when in the long run you have to compete against quality, and they go, well, gosh, I smoked this and it was forty one percent, but then I smoked this strawberry cough that's historically nine or ten percent. If you want to follow genetic profiling over the history of life, because, you know, we just don't create something out of midair, you know, we can go, hey, that is actually what I want. I want a lower THC cannabis because I want these effects. I don't want just high THC and only one number focus. So it was, uh, um, well, right now in Washington State, there's 600 companies left. There were 2,800. Um, some of them went out of business based on hijinks and you know, deceiving a consumer. I think uh, over time we'll realize what NIST is, uh, what defrauding um, a consumer is, and how quality is more important than a number. So with that said, and I know the THC percentage means absolutely nothing. I've always said I go to dispensaries, I'll go to dispensary hop, and I go... Well, here's where it means something. It means something in an edible, because if you take a 10 milligram versus a 100 milligram... Big difference. Well, how does accuracy matter there? I mean, come on, we can do better as labs. Unfortunately, labs don't understand the variables within their own facility. And when cannabis testing is so new... um, you know, we can blame certain things that maybe we just don't understand, or we can give good advice to guide them to provide better quality by design, designing a better process internally. So you eliminate variables that create failures in micro micro or uh, yeast and mold. And even yeast and mold testing over time has changed because he's right. Yeast and mold is in everything. But to what thresholds should the state be testing mm-hmm. for to make it safe? <clears throat> So what's the most common uh, heavy metals that you see, Josh, when you're doing some testing? So actually, there's a few ways. The short answer is uh, it depends. Um, and the more complicated answer is uh, I was listening in on your earlier segments and how there was a comment about lab tests being more than just you can sell your shit, right? One of those tests is heavy metals it's not just about oh i can pass this especially if you're in a, a grow room it's a controlled environment you should not be failing any of those but if you go and look at they, they give you an indication right so if you have lead and you're failing for lead that means your water filtration has gone to hell you need to replace your water filters um you know if you see high levels of arsenic are you using rock wool 
because if and check your batch and lot numbers so this is also goes back to the gmp that you should be setting up for your facility if you're not already and you better damn well be getting close to it because once the fda decides to do anything they will make you um which goes into beginning middle and end of batch lot testing which no one wants to talk about either but you know so arsenic uh depending on where they make the rock wool from that rock that they pull it it's volcanic soil it's volcanic rock and sometimes they'll spike levels of arsenic in it so uh you know cadmium usually again water uh, so we don't see much usually if anything it's lead uh a little bit of nickel but it's detroit so the soil and the groundwater and everything over here's over there's a little uh iffy at times so but you know like copper you're gonna see anytime um actually uh chris who is one of your earliest guests today he was the first presentation I ever saw at a con uh, convention, and I don't I don't know if you'll remember it, but it was uh, Rochester, Minnesota, and he brought in uh, pictures of vape machines of uh, vapes samples that he had a smoking machine hooked up that would pull from the vape, and there were visible to the naked eye metal shavings coming out from the shoddy vape hardware. So you and then also sometimes you'll see concentrates that will pass when it comes from the producer, but when it's put into the vapes and then tested as a vape, it will fail based on, again, shoddy hardware. So you can usually, another one that you'll see is uh, if your flower, if you're using a busking machine or something like that, and it's a brand new machine, always, 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 before you run any product through it, put a bunch of crap in through it that you have no desire to ever use because there's little bits and shavings on there that just being a brand new machine will get flaked off in your product and that'll then you'll test for nickel. So my dad was a machinist. I learned that one an old the old fashioned way. Uh, but I we actually had a couple of people that tested a couple of batches and they failed for nickel, but it was only at the beginning of the batch. Towards the end of the batch, they tested a second one and it passed. And that led us to finally track it down to the nickel and it was elevated cadmium too. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, you uh I guess you're saying so if they're failing, they're literally failing for a reason. And a lot of times yes. it could just be the water that they're using. Um none of these tests, these are quality control tests. They're safety tests, but they're also quality control. So if you're failing them, there's something in your process that you're doing wrong or that is breaking down. So I mean, there is a lot of value in these things. Uh yeah, another one was uh uh arsenic you can pick up uh if you have rat traps hanging out you won't fail well we've actually seen detectable levels from rat traps in the grow room have popped up occasionally they were still below the fail rate but you know they're there so if you're seeing these things in a closed loop system there's an issue and you know you want to make the best product the most efficient products the uh, that you can these are the places that you get that information to help your system. We've been asking some uh, genetic questions about um, cultivars that prevent uh, some of these, um, not pesticides, but mold and mildew and, and those issues. Uh, Mark, have you seen anything that's that that pops a lot where you're like, damn, that, that particular strain is guilty all the time versus another one where you never see it? 
Yeah, we definitely experienced this in Washington with a lot of the coastal growers trying to to grow grow very dense dense buds um, that just won't finish, just as they won't won't dry. Um, growing in an outdoor environment where you don't have enough time for the plant to fully finish, you know, uh, a long flowering indica. Um, you know, you just got to tailor that that genetic to the environment that you're growing in. Uh, greenhouse growing creates a higher humidity environment. Um, if you grow in a humid humid area like Michigan or Wisconsin or anywhere in the Midwest, you're going to have to have to um, you know tailor your cultivar to fit appropriately. Uh, is that, that why we don't in- see Blue Dream? Is because a couple of years ago we saw some early rain, some early snow, and it ruined outdoor harvest. And people just said that takes too long. Or is that not one of them that that's a longer? Yeah, I think Blue Dream's a tough one because there's so many different varieties within that. You know, Northern County Humble Growers Association did extensive development with Blue Dream and extensive research as well, growing in so many valleys away from the coast. Um, Jorge and that group over there is just super intelligent. And, you know, they just go way down these little rabbit holes uh, to understand that. But no, we've seen this over time. We can't grow Dutch, Dutch, Dutch treat or Durban poison in Western Washington. You know, it's a high Afghani strain, so it grows extremely well in Denver. Um, we notice the same thing, if, you know, if you want to compare plant to plant, you know, um, wine is kind of similar in this. You, you grow in certain regions, you can grow certain varieties better than others. And those varieties are more naturally adapt to those, uh, you know, the, the issues that that environment can create. Josh, are you seeing anything where people are growing, trying to get the most a THC? And so we've seen in Washington State, people grow super crispy, dry buds where it's like powder, just because they're, I'm assuming they're just trying to drive up that THC by drying it out is, I'm assuming there's still kind of that inverse relationship between dryness and THC. Is that accurate? Are you seeing that? What's what's happening in your area? Well, yeah, I mean, it's the amount of, so your moisture content and water activity so I don't remember what Washington is. It's been a while since I've seen the regs. Uh, do you guys do water activity or do you do moisture content? Moisture. It's both, <clears throat> both water activity and moisture content. I mean, water activity is what are the active potential compounds that are in that. It's more appropriate for an edible. Yeah. Uh, moisture content's more appropriate for flour. Uh, so, but yeah, I think it's any a range between two to ten percent. But I mean, let's just do the math. I mean, if you change ten percent moisture. What's to 10% end result? If you have a 20% flower, you're not going to move it more than two points just by drying it out. So what does that really gain you as far um, as an end result? You know? I will say so, on the hemp side, it def- they definitely tried to game that system a little bit. And I've seen it with the, the some of the, med- not the medical, the, some of the recreational stuff in Michigan. We also have the potency wars in Michigan badly. I get asked mm-hmm. weekly if I'll fix numbers or bump numbers. It just... And everyone says, oh, well, this lab does it. Why don't you? I'll give you extra money. And it's every week. But, um, you know, what I've seen, um, what I've seen mostly, though, is people try, they're trying to grow a little more dense than they are dry them out. But there's a slight push, and I'm very happy to see they're starting to push the terpenes more. Like we do a 38 panel for terpenes um that you know it's it's kind of the whole everyone remembers oh i smoked this blue dream in california but 
then they move here. Somebody says, oh, that sold really well. I have something that it think looks like it, but kind of isn't, but not so. I'm going to name it that in this other state way down the way. Um, but if it's got the terpene profile that's close, it tends to have the same effects, at least anecdotally. Um, and I like, I think we're starting to see more people looking at the high terpene content. They're looking at the 2%, 3%, the 4%, if you can get them that high. Um, we have had people claim that they have 50% THC in their flower, uh, which is genetically impossible, but you know, yeah. Um, let them believe it, right? Well, I mean, they've done a few studies and there's a few papers out there. One of them that your actual receptors max out about 16 to 20%. Like anything above that really doesn't do anything except get you there absorb. faster. Yeah, it's just you get there faster. But um, you know, it's you can go down the street and buy barrel aged twenty year old scotch, or you can buy Everclear. Which one are you gonna pick? You don't want the moonshine because it tastes like ass. You know, you you want that twenty year old scotch. Um, and I think people are starting to realize that, but it's an uneducated consumer. You know, they don't know anything other than I want to get high. I know THC gets me high. That's it. You know, we as uh, industry, as labs, as growers, producers, somebody's got to take the bullet and some start pushing that, you know, what all those other things, it's the cannabinoid profile, it's your CBD, CBG, it's not just the THC that's doing things, it's all those other effects coming together in the entourage, I've heard another word for it, but I can't remember, but the terpene profile, what those effects are doing is, it's why it makes it so hard to do clinical trials on anything because there's so many variables to get that same effect that it's hard to pin down to anything to actually do a double blind study. Mm -hmm. Can you guys leave us with some uh, information on how consumers can use lab data to make better or, or uh, more informed decisions? Mark, you want to go ahead? Yeah, you know, there's a lot to that. I mean, there's so much that happens behind the scenes that the consumer doesn't really get to be privy to. I think the, the consumer needs to realize that they've got uh, protection behind them. Um, they can sue these manufacturers for fraud and for being deceived. And if labs want to participate in that, that chain of fraud and the companies want to have their, their names blastered all over the place, I can tell you many stories in Washington State about labs and companies they just don't exist anymore because they thought that this was the way to get out uh, of their mistakes, <laughs> you know? So, um, I, 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 it's a, it, the, the consumer's in a bad spot. Um, and I'm sorry to say that, but, um, you know, when more sliding morality has entered into the lab testing and that's the, that's the testing <laughs> dogs, you got cat. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Um, you know, um, but I think um, go with what the effects tell you, you know, as much as you can find out about the grower, you know, that's definitely the way that you want to um, get the best information. The, the companies that do the testing and over test um, are more than upfront about all the testing that they do and how they approach it. So um, I would reach out to their websites and contact the companies direct and do some research on them, mm -hmm. you know. I would tack on to that. I mean, if you're you as a consumer at like an actual like consumer level, 
you know, ask them to see the COA. If they, they should, if they're reputable, they should be willing to give that to you hands down, no problem, easy. I mean, hell, most of them should be, are putting them out there because there are places out there that really do want to go above and beyond with testing to make things safe. And they are very upfront about it. If they're any whatever KG about it, that's when you should start looking and be worried about it. You know, if you're a, say you're a edible producer or a, Con, you know, producer or manufacturer, ask to get a second opinion from a second lab from that batch that you're buying. You know, if for flour, because there's plenty of places that will definitely, you know, you'll contradict, but you should be within two to you know a couple of percent either side. I mean, measurement of uncertainty for most potency tests that I've seen in most labs are five percent or less. So whatever that number is, you should be getting somewhat close. Um, but, you know, also to ask if you're checking things and you even want to go to the lab, ask the lab, how do they do it? If they can't explain it to you, it's simply, or even if they can't explain how it's done at all, or won't explain it to you, uh, I'd be a little nervous about that lab. I mean, yes, they're not going to go into the full nuts and bolts of, oh, we did, you know, step one, step two, step three, but like ABGO. Methanol extraction, triple methanol extraction for 30, you know, sorry, eight minutes a piece. And then it's run on an HPLC. Hmm. I mean, it's not a proprietary secret. That's not how science works. You know, <laughs> you know, I mean, you go and if you go on the clinical world, I was in pharma R&D for 15 years or 12 years before this, and you go into a hospital and you get a medical test and say it's for something even like uh, whooping cough or pertussis when you get your results back, it will have literally everything down to the DNA sequence of that bacteria that they use, the primer, you know, the sequence that they use to get that test and everything about it. But they make billions of dollars off those tests. So, you know, it's either, this is science that in order to compare apples to apples, you have to at least know what the apples are or what the fruit is. So just ask. And if you think, it feels off. It probably is because in this industry, unfortunately, you know, like Mark was saying earlier, um, you know, when I was in grad school, you never thought you get those ethics courses that you have to take in, in school that you, they give you the stupidest things ever as examples. And you never think that's going to happen. And then in this industry, it happens once a week and their examples are even worse, dumber than what you thought they were in college. So just ask. Yeah. Any last words, Mark? No, it's good to see you, Josh. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for spreading the information and, um, you know, putting facts out there. Yeah. yeah it's great. Great to finally have you on. So, um, Doug, you got anything else you want to add to no. this before we wrap up? No, I think that was great. Uh, Mark Cobbard from integrity labs, Josh Smith from Abco labs. Um, just, excellent information really appreciate your time on a friday afternoon on the green rush live and uh i hope everybody has a nice weekend and we'll see you next week and josh kincaid thank you so much and we're out of here yeah as Jimmy said, it's a whole new world of weed out there use it responsibly have a great weekend yep but with that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, this is Cheryl Murray Powell Esquire, and I'm the host of the Terps in the City podcast. I am a cannabis agricultural dietary supplement and trade attorney. I'm also a hemp farmer, and I've been recently named to the list of High Times Magazine's top 100 influencers in cannabis. I'm inviting you to follow me along my journey as I move back to New York to support the adult use market there. You're going to get a chance to listen to conversations with some of my friends along the way. I look forward to seeing you at Terps in the City.